I, I don't know, a couple of years or so, we're going to look at John's gospel. We'll see. Jonathan seems to think that I can't get it done in time. And so he's already been right once. I picked too much scripture for this morning. We've already had to cut back some. So we'll see. But, uh, but it'll, we're, we're going to take our time as we walk through John's gospel. We may take some breaks here and there. But I, I really, really, really want us to, to study this, this amazing uh, gospel that God has given us through the Apostle John. And so this morning, this is where we're going to be. We're going to be in John chapter 1, uh, and we're just going to take this section by section. There may be some sections that, that we, we skip over here and there as John's fairly repetitive. But for the most part, we're going to take it section by section as we look at his gospel. Uh, I, how many of y'all, when you were in high school, college, whenever, ha- had to ever write an essay about what a letter, like a poem meant or what a story meant? Like, what's the author's meaning right here? What are they trying to tell you? Or maybe sometimes, you know, when you watch a movie, you'll, uh, you'll be like, so what's the hidden meaning? Is Hollywood trying to brainwash me? Or, you know, it's hard sometimes to figure out what people mean. Or for me especially, I have a hard time sometimes understanding what my wife means, right? I, I don't, younger guys, I don't know if you know this or not, but fine does not mean fine, right? When she says I'm fine, that's a, it's actually the opposite of that. It took me a while to learn that. That'll keep you out of some trouble. But it's amazing when she actually tells me what she means, how much different it is. Like we can actually figure things out. I'm not always the brightest bulb in the box and so it takes me a while sometimes to understand what she actually meant versus what she said well if whether it be a poem or whether it be a movie or or a show or or whatever uh, it's way easier somebody just says hey this is what i'm trying to tell you this is what i want you to know this is exactly my purpose in writing this or this is exactly my purpose in speaking this well john does that for us in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, we're, we're not going to be here a long time this morning. I just I want you to see that John leaves, does not leave it up to us to figure out why he wrote this gospel. God has him write these words to us. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 30, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So John didn't write everything down. Why didn't he write everything down? Verse 31 tells you why. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Will you join me in prayer this morning? God, I I thank You. Lord, I thank You for Your Word. God, I thank You for Your Word that shows us Jesus. Lord, I thank You for Your Word that explains to us who He is and what You've given us uh, through Christ. Lord Jesus, thank You. Lord, I I pray that as we study your word this morning, God, as we walk through your word, as we hear from you about who Jesus is and what he came to do, Lord, that we would receive you, God, that we would respond to you, that we would submit to you, God, that we would be changed by you this morning. God, we know, we confess even now, Lord, we can't do it. We we have nothing uh, with which to bring to offer to you. We, we, We cannot do this in our own power. We need your help. And so, God, I pray that you would give us that help that we so desperately need. In Jesus' name, amen. And so God had John write this letter to us, or this gospel to us, so that we would, he makes it very clear here, I mean, there's no debate, like sometimes there's debates on what a certain letter of the Bible, certain book of the Bible is about. With John, there's no debate. He wrote it so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, so that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, so that we would believe that Jesus is the promised 
chosen Savior sent from God to save His people from their sins. That's part of the reason why John wrote his book. So that we would believe this. So that we would know that Jesus is the Christ. And then also that we would know that Jesus is the Son of God. That we would believe that Jesus isn't just another man. He isn't just another teacher. That He is the Son of God. That He is sent from God to save us. That He is God of very God as we're going to see this morning. And that as we believe that, that we would have life. Not regular life, not just physical life, but eternal life. And not just life forever, but life of an eternal value. A a, a life that only God can give us. And so John writes this letter so that we would know that Jesus is the Savior, so that we would know that Jesus is the Son of God, and that as we believe on Jesus as Savior, Son of God, that we would have life in His name. And so that's why we're studying this book. That's why we're reading this book. That's why we're reading his gospel. His gospel's a little different, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's some things that he includes that they don't. And there's a lot of stuff that uh, they include that he doesn't. And so we're going to see Jesus maybe from a little different perspective. And so he wants you to know, God wants you to know this morning, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in him you can have life. Now you may be sitting there thinking, well, I believe in Jesus, I'm good. I know Jesus, I'm good. I believe in Jesus. My, my question to you is which one? And what I mean by that is, in our culture, it seems that people have wanted to redefine who Jesus is. They, they want to take away the things they don't like. You know, you have different things like the Jesus Seminar and, the, you know, and different things on TV and different books that want to sort of take Jesus and turn him into something that he's not and take away things that he was. Like, you know, some folks just want to believe that he's a good man or that he's a good teacher. Or that he's a good prophet. Now, is he a good man? Yes, he's the best man. He's the God man. Is he a good teacher? Absolutely. Is he a good prophet? Absolutely. But he's so much more than that. He's the Savior of the world. We cannot take away who Jesus is. We cannot simply redefine him to make ourselves more comfortable with him. I think sometimes we want to do that because we think that if we, we redefine Jesus into who we want him to be, well, he doesn't interfere as much in our lives. Am I right? I mean, like, if you really believe Jesus is who he says he is, well, then some stuff's got to change. John writes this gospel to us so that we would know without a doubt who Jesus really is. Uh, be, the reason why is because knowing who Jesus is is more important than anything else. Guys, as we study this gospel, I want you to remember that if you get Jesus wrong, it really doesn't matter what else you get right. Like, if you get Jesus wrong, you can get everything else right and still lose it all. The the Jews, as we walk through this gospel, we're going to see they had a lot of stuff right. The Pharisees knew all these different things about God. They knew all these different things about His Word. They had a ton of things right. But then when Jesus showed up, they misunderstood Him. They did not get Him. They got Him wrong, and they lost everything. Guys, you can study the Ten Commandments. You can quote them by heart in the King James. You can quote the Psalm 23. You can know all the books of the Bible. You can know all the apostles, where they came from and where they ended up. But if you get Jesus wrong, it really doesn't matter. Who Jesus is is more important than anything. And so as we study this gospel together, I want to tell you where we're headed so as we study it, you can read it and you can study it along with me and we can read God's word together so that you can understand that Jesus is so much more than a good man. He's so much more than a prophet. He is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and in Him you can have life. And so let's begin. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, 
And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And so the first question is, who is Jesus? Or the only question we're answering this morning, who is Jesus? The answer is, is that He is God. Who is Jesus? He is God. John makes this clear. He, he says, in the beginning was the Word. Why does John use this word, Word, here? We, we don't talk a whole lot about the original languages very often here, but this is, this is important. This word, Word, is logos uh, in the Greek. Uh, some people, I think, pronounce it logos. I don't know. I'm from Arkansas. It's logos. We're going to go with that. Um, but logos was the idea behind it. The Greeks had this idea that there was this sort of all-powerful logos behind everything that was responsible for creating the universe and sustaining the universe. Like, have you ever seen Star Wars? You know, the Force. That's sort of what it is. I mean, not exactly the same, but that is. You know, it goes through everything. It's responsible for keeping the universe from descending into chaos. And so they believed in this sort of impersonable force. Not necessarily a god, per se, but just this divine power that held everything together. Well, John writes to the Greeks, and he says, Listen, this impersonable, abstract idea that you think holds everything together, he's actually a person. The Word of God. He is actually the Word, the, law, the divine Logos. He's not impersonable. He is a person. He is a, the second person of the Trinity. He is the Son of God. That's who this Logos is. He's the one who created all things and sustains all things by His power. The Jews would have, when they hear about the Word of God, they would have thought about God's power, His creative power. The fact that when you hear about God's Word in the Old Testament, uh, you know, it says that His Word doesn't come, return to Him void, but it accomplishes His purpose. And so when they hear this and they hear that Jesus is the Word, they think of God's power and they think of His might and His strength. And so John is saying Jesus is, whether you're Greek or Jew, He is the, 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 the embodiment, the divine embodiment of God, all of God's power and strength and all of His creative activity, as we'll see here in a minute. And so the divine power, the divine word, the logos, uh, uh, John says, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was Jesus. Uh, and so when he says here, in the beginning, I, I bet y'all may even know the second half of this Bible verse, this memory verse, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? John wants us to think all the way back to the very beginning of, of creation. And he says... In the beginning was the Word. This is important. God's Word makes it clear from the very, very first words that we read in Genesis that God has always existed. You can go all the way back to the beginning of creation and look before creation, and there is God. You can go all the way back to the beginning of what we know as time and see God. You see, God is eternal. He is uh, beyond time. Time does not affect Him. Time is of no consequence to Him. He has always existed. And so John here is saying, just as God is eternal, the Word is eternal. Just as God has no beginning, the Word has no beginning. In the beginning, the Word was already there. Why? Well, because He's God. You notice how he phrases it. That the Word was with God and the Word was God. And so if you go all the way back to the beginning of all things, you'll find that Jesus, the Son of God, existed before then. There's never been a time when Jesus, the Son of God, did not exist. He exists outside of time. He is eternal. He is timeless. Paul says He is before all things. Jesus has always been. And so that's super easy to understand, right? Y'all all with me so far? 
Like he's always existed. We can totally get that. And he'll never end. And time doesn't really affect him the way it affects us. Time's for us, not for him. Y'all got that big idea this morning? Well, John doesn't stop there. He says, Jesus, uh, the Word was God, and that the Word was with God. So it's like John was there and John was with John. Well, that doesn't work, right? So how does it work with God? How can Jesus be God and be with God? I was asking y'all, y'all don't know. <laughs> well, because our God exists in three persons. Our one true God exists in three persons. We worship the one true God, but this one true God demonstrates himself in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father wills, God the Son does, and the Holy Spirit applies. And we, we see this throughout Scripture. We, we don't have time to really go deeply into the doctrine of the Trinity this morning. We call it the Holy Trinity or the Trinity. That's how we describe how God exists. Uh, we, we can't understand it. We can't illustrate it. Guys, there's no human illustration or explanation of this fact that fully works. I won't go through the different examples of the ones that don't work because you, you may have used them and, and that sort of thing. I don't want to uh, do that. But, but the, the truth is, is if we try to apply human reason and human illustration and human explanation to explain how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are three persons but also one God, that our God, our God is one, we will mess it up. There's no way to fully, totally explain this. There's no way to fully, totally explain that our God exists in three persons. We just can't. Now, we want to, right? I mean, it's our human nature. We want to figure stuff out, and we want to explain stuff that God doesn't explain. But he just hadn't given us the brains to do that. He's God, and we're not. Like, it's okay we're never going to get this figured out. We have these itty-bitty brains, and he's eternal. He's infinite. He wins. He's beyond our understanding. And if he wasn't, would he really be God? So why do we spend so much time trying to figure out stuff he hasn't shown us? All we know is that we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and they three have existed for eternity in perfect harmony, and they are one God. And so John makes it clear that Jesus is God. He was in the beginning with God. Something John does, as we'll see as we go through his gospel, is he repeats the same thing over and over again. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and just in case you missed it, he was in the beginning with God. Like, you see what he does there is he tells you again the same exact thing. I, I, I wonder, I don't, I don't know if John had kids or not, but it kind of makes me wonder, right? I mean, that's a talent you pick up early on, repeating yourself over and over and over and over again. I just told you, I just told you, I just told you. Well, he repeats himself so that we will understand this. And so very clearly, first off, Jesus is God. Next, Jesus is creator. We see this in verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so not only is he God, he is creator. John says here, as God, Jesus has always existed, and that it is through him everything that was made was made. So when we read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, we can also read, in the beginning was the Word, and all things were made through him. In fact, that's exactly what he says here. In the beginning was the Word, and all things were made through him. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You see what John's doing. When, the, when God the Father says, let there be light, God the Son creates light. It is through Him that all things are created. He is the divine Word, the divine power of God. And Paul backs this up in Colossians 1 when he says that He is the invisible, an image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is creator. As the divine logos, as the word of God, as the God the Son, Jesus carries out the will of the Father. The Son, the Father speaks and the Son completes. Jesus, John is saying here that Jesus is God's power, that he is the exact embodiment, the exact representation of God. We'll see that next week. We won't quite make it there this morning. He's also saying that Jesus is, in fact, the power that created and sustains the whole universe and gives it meaning and purpose and reason. Now, if he created everything, let me ask you this. If he created everything, everything we see, everything that's created is from him, then why in the world would we ever worship the stuff he made? Like, why would we ever bow down to the things he made? Why would we worship his stuff instead of worshiping him? Why would we look to his stuff for enjoyment instead of looking to him? Think about how dysfunctional human relationships get when we take this approach. Like, you know, you try to to, uh, do things for your kids, and so you buy them gifts. Then they like the gifts you bought them more than they like you. Like, hey, kid, I bought you that Xbox. Remember me? You know, that sort of thing. Or as parents, sometimes we do that with our children. We end up loving the accomplishments or the potential in them more than them. We forget that they are who we ought to be loving. Or maybe your friends, they like you because you got the big TV and the ball game. You know, when we love the stuff that people have or the stuff that people give us more than the people themselves, it's a very dysfunctional relationship. The same thing is true with Jesus. He made everything. He gave us this world. God gave us this world, guys, to enjoy, not to worship. He gave us this world to enjoy, not to worship. It's okay to enjoy this world. It's not okay to worship the stuff of this world. Jonathan mentioned this last last week about drinking orange juice to the glory of God. We don't worship orange juice. We enjoy orange juice. Or if you're, in my case, I enjoy Prilosec so that I can drink orange juice without dying, you know. But... But that's what God has done for us. He's given us this glorious place to live, and He's given us these things to enjoy, not to worship. Also, if He created all things, if you're a creation this morning, your creation is owed to the Creator. He formed you in in your mother's womb, according to the psalmist. He knit your parts together. And here's the deal. According to the cross stitch on my Meemaw's wall when I was growing up, God don't make no junk. Y'all remember that? God don't make no junk. Some of you need to hear that this morning. You are here because God wants you to be here. He doesn't make any junk. There, I corrected the English, but I'm pretty sure it said God don't make no junk. But, but God created you for a purpose. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to be in your life. You're not an accident. You're not a mistake. Like, he doesn't make mistakes. He's been around forever. He knows literally forever. He knows what he's doing. And he knew what he was doing when he created you. Jesus is our God. Jesus is our creator. And Jesus is our hope. And we see this in verse 4. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. In verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. 
And so here we see that Jesus is our hope. Why is Jesus our hope? Because Jesus is the source of life. In him was life. Here's this word again, life. This is going to be repeated. John's going to use this word all throughout uh, his gospel. Uh, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. This word life, this word Zoe, that's why we named Zoe Zoe, because this, this idea of God's life, the life that God gives, the spiritual life, the high life, the, the life that only God can provide. There, there's this connotation all throughout John's gospel when he uses this word. It's more than just physical life, bios. It's Zoe, spiritual life, uh, this life that, that goes deeper than what this world can offer. God doesn't, Jesus doesn't offer us fake life, guys. He offers us real life of eternal value. Not life forever, not just life forever, but life of eternal value. Life that is satisfying. Life that has substance. You know, later he'll say to his disciples, a peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Why? Because his peace doesn't go away based on circumstances. His peace stays with us because he gives us life. It's the same idea. Uh, it's the same idea that, that you see in creation. I, I really think that John is keeping this idea of the created order in our minds. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. When, when God began to create life, he began by creating light. God said, let there be light, and there was light. In the same way, Jesus, when he came, he offers us life, and this life is the light of men. God created light out of darkness. Until Jesus spoke, until God spoke and Jesus created light, there was no light. There was only darkness. The same thing is true spiritually. Until God comes into our hearts and sets us free, until Jesus comes and sets us free, there's only darkness. Guys, the, the darkness uh, around us blinds us sometimes from God's light, blinds us from God's life. And so when he says here that this life that Jesus offers us is the light of men, think about what light really is. Think about what light offers to someone who lives in a place that actually gets dark. I don't know if any of you grew, out, grew up outside the city, but where I grew up, it got dark. There were no street lights and things like that. There were no neighbor's lights. Like, when you turned off the lights, you couldn't see. Like, when you're outside and it's dark, it's dark. Unless mama turned on a porch light, right? You don't know what's in that bush wiggling over there. It's probably nothing, but it could be something, right? I, that's, it's dark. It's scary. Imagine living in a world where there is no uh, street lights, when you don't have a flashlight to see what's in the bushes. It could be bandits. I just want to use the word bandits. When's the last time you used the word bandits? But, so but what if there's bandits in the bushes, right? Everything's scary if you don't have a light. You don't have your iPhone. You can't shine over there, right? I mean, it's scary. It's a scary place to be. The darkness is a scary place. It's a hopeless place. It's a confusing place. I mean, how can you find your way anywhere if you're blind to, to what's in front of you? You walk into a tree. Not, Crystal's not here this morning. So, But uh, not long after we got married, uh, we weren't really used to the house we were living in. And so one night she got up in the middle of the night uh, to go to the restroom. Well, she got up and she uh, had forgotten that we had shut the door. It was dark, so you can hear the end of the story, right? Wham! Like, it was really funny to me. Not so funny to her. And so she's sick this morning, so pray for her and pray for me as she hears that I mentioned that story. But we still laugh about that sometimes, about in the darkness, she walked slap dab into that door. I mean, like, face first. I, I did it later, too, but uh, we won't tell that story. But, but, but when we are in the darkness, we can't see. We get turned around. We don't know where we're going. We can get discouraged and just give up. Jesus' life that he offers us is life that says, come this way. Come and find hope. Come and find freedom. Come and find direction and purpose in your life. In this dark world full of pain and suffering and sin and discouragement and death, uh, Jesus offers us life. He offers us life. He is the light of men because he offers us the only hope there is. 
Jesus is hope because Jesus gives us life. He offers us freedom through the gospel which guides us and directs us. But not everyone likes the life. Light. Look at verse 5. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. You may have a translation that says the darkness has not comprehended it or the darkness has not understood it. Really, it's two sides of the same coin with this word. Um, it's that idea of being able to grasp something either with your mind or with your hand so you can control it and, and do what you want with it. And, and so what John's getting across here is that the darkness, number one, doesn't understand the light, and number two, wants to destroy it or get rid of it. And we see both of these things all the way through the gospel. We see people who don't understand the gospel, who don't understand the life and the light that Jesus brings, and they're constantly trying to destroy it, constantly trying to get rid of him because they don't like what he has to say. We see this over and over again. But, but here we have this promise that the darkness is not able to snuff out the light. The darkness is not able to destroy the light. The darkness cannot grab a hold of the light and get rid of the light. Guys, th this is important to us because we need to understand, even though the darkness is the enemy of the light and will do whatever, they, whatever it can to get rid of the light, it can't. The darkness is powerless against the light. The darkness is powerless against the life that Jesus offers you. It doesn't matter. I, I don't know what you're going through this morning. I know we all have struggles. I know we all go through those dark places in our lives where we feel like there's darkness all around us. There's badness all around us no matter wherever we turn. But this light that Jesus offers us through the gospel, the darkness can't overcome it. The world can never take away the life that Jesus is offering you. The world can never take away the hope and the peace that he's given you. The world can never take away the direction and the purpose and the path that he gives you. And so, don't, whatever you're going through this morning, don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Enjoy the light and the life that Jesus offers you. And so, uh, who is Jesus? He is God. He is creator. He is hope. And then finally, he is Messiah. And we'll, we'll end here. I'm, uh, I'm about done. And so, verse, verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And here's what I mean. Some people like the light, some people don't like the light. And so this first half, John separates humanity into two categories. The first half we see here, the rejectors. Those who, when Jesus comes into the world, don't receive him. He comes into the world he created. He is the creator. He made everything. And so he, he splits these people up into two categories. The first group of people are those who reject Christ, those who refuse to see him. It says that the world didn't know him. The world didn't recognize him as master, as Lord, as Savior. And then his own people, his people who God has done so much for. These people had been waiting for century upon century for the Messiah to arrive. And when he finally does, they reject him. They say, no, we don't like what you have to say. We don't like what you are offering. Light, if, we're not, if, we're not, if we don't like what the light reveals, we don't like light very much, do we? Like how many of you appreciate somebody flipping on the light when you're asleep? Like in the middle, you know, you, you wake up. I, I've never done this because uh, I know better. But, you know, if I get up before Crystal does and it's still dark, I don't flip on the light. He's my little phone, right? That's why my socks never match. But, but, it, but, I, but if you flip on the light, you're going to be in trouble. It's going to hurt your eyes. And you, you don't like it. You don't like what it does. Or maybe it reveals something uh, that you don't like in your life. Sometimes the light shines on things we wish we didn't have there. Sometimes the light will show us things that we wish we wouldn't have saw. I know, uh, <laughs> actually, it's the same house that Crystal walked into the, the door on 
uh, we, we had a couple of dogs and I got up one morning and it was still dark and I sat at the end of the bed and I saw Crystal, I was like, hey, you know, sometimes these socks in the floor, they kind of look like a, a, a mess from the dogs. One of these days I'm going to get up and think it's a, do- uh, a, a sock and it's going to be something else. And so I kicked the sock. It was something else. In the darkness, it looked like a sock. In the light, I wasn't happy. Crystal wasn't happy. And the dogs sure weren't happy. It was a bad morning. It was a bad way to start the day. Sometimes when we turn on the light, all of a sudden there's a mess there in the floor. We're like, oh man. And sometimes when Jesus comes in and he shines the light in our lives and he starts to show us the messes in our lives, we're like, ooh, I don't think I like that very much. I don't think I want to recognize you as my Lord because if I recognize you as my Lord, well then I've got to do what you're telling me and I don't want to do what you're telling me. I don't like what you're showing me. So many times, and, and this happens to believers and unbelievers sometimes, doesn't it? Sometimes as believers, Jesus will shine lights on areas in our lives that we ought to get right. And like, Ooh, I don't know if I want to submit to you here. I don't know if I want to do what you're calling me to do here. And so we, we want to back up and say, mm, I'm not so sure I want you to be my master today. And we have to repent of that and turn back to him. And so the, the light comes in, but not everybody's cool with the light. Nobody, not everybody agrees with the light. Some reject the light and don't recognize the light. But verse 12 shows us what Jesus offers, what Jesus gives, what's on the table this morning. In verse 12 he says, But to all who did receive him, those who didn't reject, but who did receive, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So if you do receive him, here's what you get. You get the right to become a child of God, something that we lost because of our sin, something that we don't deserve because of our sin. We don't deserve to be a part of God's family. We don't deserve to be a part of what God is offering here, but we get it because of who Jesus is. You notice what he says here. He says, first off, uh, who were born not of blood. It's not about ancestry. It's not about who your mom and dad are. It's not about how long your family's been a member of the church. It's not about your mom and dad praying over you. Somebody else can't get you in here. Just because you got good parents doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean your children will be. This is a personal relationship with Christ. Notice he also says, nor of the will of the flesh. Like you can't earn your way into heaven. You can't work harder to get in. It doesn't work that way. You can try and you can grit your teeth, but it's never going to work. Nor of the will of man. You can't will someone else in. You can't decide it for yourself. This is something that God does. It says, but of God. Only those who are born of God. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks. Y'all know the verse. You must be born again. The first birth, the physical birth is not what counts. It's the spiritual birth that Jesus uh, expects from us. So how are we born again? How do we receive him? Well, it's found here uh, in verse 12 where it says, to all who receive him, who did receive him, who believed in his name. What's John's purpose in writing this gospel? That we would believe in his name, that we would believe in Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing in him, we would have eternal life. How do you receive Jesus? Do you work harder? you try harder? you do more stuff? No, you believe in His name. You believe in what He is offering you. You quit trying self-improvement tasks. You quit trying through the will of the flesh or the will of man. You start saying, Lord, I can't do it. I will never be able to. I need you to save me. It's about trusting on His sacrifice for you. It's about trusting in His ability to save you. Who is Jesus? He is God. He is creator. He is hope. He is our savior. Is he your savior this morning? If he is, 
Would you commit yourself again to serving Him as your God? Would you commit yourself again to serving Him as your Creator, as the one who made you and sustained you? Will you find your worth again in the fact that He made you, that you're not an accident, you're not a mistake, you're here because He wants you to be here? Would you commit yourself again to finding your hope in Him? When the darkness surrounds you and you think that there's no, nothing else you can do, will you lean into Him and say, Lord, you guide me out of this. God, you show me where to go. Lord Jesus, you guide me. Help me to trust in you. Help me to find my hope in you and be reminded of the fact that the darkness can't overcome you and can't take away the life you have given me. Will you commit yourself that, to that this morning? And if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, let me ask you, why would you not trust on Jesus, who is God, creator, sustainer, hope, and savior this morning? Why would you not believe on him and ask him to save you Ask him to offer or to give you eternal life and make you a part of his family. All you've got to do to earn the right to be in his family is nothing. Simply trust on him. Believe on him and he will save you. Ask him to forgive you and save you and he will. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for your word.